We'd like to welcome everyone in this congregation today. How blessed we are to be assembled here in southwest Missouri. And we want to humbly welcome everyone that is here. We are truly blessed, privileged, and honored. Honored to have everyone that is here. Men and women, boys and girls. And all the little, many, many little infants, how grateful we are for them. We'd also like to welcome our Israelite family who may tune in to Rumble and, uh, or some other form that we are not aware of. We just want to welcome everyone. Our Bible lesson today uh, is going to take us, well, I'm not sure where. I know the Bible tells us this. And this is profoundly true. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord God Almighty, Jehovah, the Almighty God, our Father in heaven, keep the city. The watchman wakes, but in vain. And all the words of a preacher are nothing but a tinkling cymbal and a sounding brass. Except the Lord God Almighty send his Holy Spirit. So without further words, I remind everyone what it says in John 3.27. That a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. So I'm going to walk behind this pulpit. In fear and great intrepidation. Because I know that if I walk behind that pulpit. With only. My thoughts. And my instruction. It would be pitiful. So by faith in Jesus Christ. The son of God. I humbly. Thank you for this joy and privilege of being here today and addressing all of you. <clears throat> we will open our Bible today to the gospel according to St. Matthew chapter number 16. Matthew chapter number 16. And as we do that, I'd like to say that we will be looking at a lesson entitled 20, The 2050 Strategy Plan for Israel Identity Christians. Now this is a 25-year plan because I believe that we as a body of Christian people need to remember that while it is important to live in short time, contemplation of the second coming and of the potential of catastrophic judgment from the living God at any moment in time that we also have a long-term plan. So I'd like you to add 25 years to your life, 25 years to every child that's in your family, and then ask yourselves, where do you want to be and where do you want your children to be 25 years from now? Remembering that 
we live in a time that's in God's hand. But with those thoughts in mind, beloved, we believe that it's important to know that we need a strategic plan going forward in a nation and world that is in chaos and disorder. Now, we live in a generation, people, unlike any generation that has ever lived in the soil of the United States of America. And for that matter, we live in a generation unknown by the people who have preceded us in time and history. While they may have faced their own particular circumstances that parallel anything that we can look at, let me assure you that we are living in a season of history when unprecedented, unparalleled events are happening and occurring and taking place in the world that we live in. Now, God has ordained all of us, every one of us that's alive today, God has ordained for this time in history for you to be living. It's very important that you understand that God could have precipitated your, your uh, conception in any other period in history that he so chose. But he has chosen you for this season. And for whatever that may mean, beloved, we need to, every one of us, be about the business of our Father in heaven. So as we turn now to Matthew 16, I'd like to just stress the importance of having a strategic plan, short term and then long term. And some people would like to elongate that 25 year old plan, uh, 2050 on out uh, further, but I'll, I'll just leave it at 2050 because that's 25 years is, uh, now here's the deal. 25 years will pass far more quickly than anybody here might imagine. If you'll, if you'll write this date down, uh, this is the fourth day of February, 2023. You will be somewhat amazed how fast 25 years can go by. Now, in one sense, it seems like a very long time, but you'll find that 25 years can pass more rapidly than you can imagine. So Jesus, on this occasion in Matthew 16, beginning in verse 1, it says the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, when it is evening, we ye say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. Now this is how you can tell the weather without turning on your cell phone. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. Oh, ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the time? So I call your attention to the phrase, can ye not discern the signs of the times? A wicked and an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. So God is not going to write us all a letter. He's not going to do some great display in the heavens and have our name emblazoned across the heavens and says, hey, I'm going to talk to you. It says here, 
A wicked and an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign because God's covenant people ought to always be ready for their king. But the sign of the prophet Jonas, and he left them and departed. So we understand clearly, beloved, that we have a responsibility to discern the signs of the times. And we know, we know that one of the fallacies of human nature is to be asleep, spiritually asleep, when they ought to be awake. And there are many Americans today who are in a spiritual slumber and like Rip Van Winkle or some other character, they've just gone into a long, procrasted sleep. And we have a whole generation suffering from anemia. They are just simply asleep. So we need to wake up. And I have some verses out there to side. I'd like to especially, if you don't mind, turn to the book of Proverbs and share one of those verses that we find so beautifully described in the book of Proverbs. And that would take us to Proverbs chapter number 22. Book of Proverbs has a lot of information packed into the verses. This is what we read in Proverbs 22 and verse number 3. So think about it. A prudent man, that's a wise man, foresees the evil and hideth himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. So I pray that we might be wise people. 1 Timothy 5.8 describes a pretty significant verse of scripture that has to do with every husband and father. And it says something along these lines. As men, we have a responsibility to provide for our own household. Especially our own household. So, my prayer today is that we might remember that the next 25 years are pretty much they are in the hands of, a, of the husband father who as the decision maker in concert with his helpmeet and the counsel and good thoughts of his wife will carve a future for the next 25 years for how you proceed that you want your life to be lived and those of your children. Now we all understand, beloved, that we live in a time, and I want it clearly understood, people, that the times that we're living in will, I believe, I submit to you that we're going to need divine intervention before we are passing through to the end of Jacob's trouble we will need to see demonstrated divine intervention for the covenant family of God. We will not be delivered by the arm of flesh. We will not be delivered by political savvy leaders. We're going to be delivered by Jehovah, the God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're going to be delivered by a covenant God and by no one else. 
God alone is going to be the deliverer of his people. And that's important for us to remember because all of us are going to need to build a storehouse of faith. You're going to need to build a storehouse of faith for the times that we're heading into. And if you're not a, if you're not a significantly hardened soldier, the tests of life will, will, will be very difficult on you. So I warn you, everyone needs to build an abiding, profoundly deep faith. So I'd like to read from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 5, if the congregation doesn't mind turning there with me. Let's go to Isaiah 43, beginning at verse 1. But now, thus saith the Lord, Jehovah, God our Father that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, fear not. For I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by my name, thou art mine. The blood of Christ has secured the possession of Israel for the Father above. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire. Beloved, I don't know what kind of fire may be ahead of us. When thou walkest through the fire. Then thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am Jehovah thy Elohim. The Holy One of Israel thy Savior. I gave Egypt. For thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba, for thee, since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. That's real love. I have loved thee, therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east. And I will gather thee from the West. You know, the, the Bible is so filled with God's promises. I love those verses. I'd like to turn to Isaiah 54, 16 and 17. Just flip over there. And these ought to be marked in your Bible. Jeremiah chapter number 18 has a verse that says, who has heard the counsel of my word? Who has heard it and marked it? Who is marking their Bible? Behold, I have created the smith. I'm in Isaiah 54, verse 16. Who hath created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work? And I have created the waster to destroy. That line will cause your mind to go back and think. I have created the waster to destroy. No weapon, hello, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. 
What a promise. And what God has promised he can do and will do. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord God, and their righteousness is of me, saith Jehovah. Beautiful verses. And those, those kind of verses can be multiplied over and over again through the prophets and other areas of Scripture. One final area that I'd like to move quickly to is Jeremiah 31. In Jeremiah 31, we have some absolutely phenomenal verses. I'm in Jeremiah 31, beginning at verse 35. I'm in Jeremiah 31, 35. If you're with me, the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord Jehovah. I'm in Isaiah, Jeremiah, correction, Jeremiah 31, 35. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, the sun by, for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and of the stars. Think of sun, moon, stars. For a light by night, which divideth the sea and the waves, when the waves thereof roar, Jehovah of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord Jehovah, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before thee forever. Question, is the sun, moon, and stars still in the heavens? Then Israel is still on this earth somewhere. The question is where? The preachers of 21st century America for the most part, the preachers do not know where Israel is today. As far as they know, they got swallowed up in history. Lost. They called them the lost tribes. What man has lost, God has never lost vision of. God knows who Israel is. Thus saith the Lord Jehovah, verse 37, if heaven above can be measured, think of a tape measure and you're going to measure heaven. And the foundations of the earth searched out. So you're going to go look and search out the foundations of the earth. If you can measure the heavens and search out the foundations of the earth, if that's possible, then God says also, I will cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord Jehovah. And we had a reading this morning of the murmuring and complaining of the Israelites. And they caused Moses to lose his temper and hit, smite the rock twice. And because of his loss of self-control, Abraham, I'm sorry, Moses didn't get to go into the promised land. But this, this verse is the assurance that God is never going to lose his Israel people. So when you are going through the fire, folks, remember that your God is always going to be with you. 
Everyone that names the name of Christ has an angel. An angel assigned to you. They are called heirs of salvation. They are your heir by the mere fact that you have been saved, redeemed by the blood of Christ. God has given you an angel. They are invisible and they are a little bit above humankind. But in a future age, you will judge the angels. And you will judge the angel that's guarding you to determine how well he measured up in God's plan. Because the angels will be judged by God's people. You can read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So we're ready to move on. Because it's so important that we understand the principle of divine intervention that we will need divine intervention. And I'm a firm believer that God can do anything. There is nothing too hard for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now there's a, another thing that factors in here. It's the importance of the local church in time of history. Now, I know that the idea of the church takes a bad rap. And I know there are multiple reasons why people grow discouraged with a church. God only knows the reasons why people can turn away from a church. But beloved, whatever else you may think or about a church, it's the only institution that God tells us in Scripture that has guaranteed, guaranteed eternal security as an institution. I'm talking about an institution. The only institution in Western Christian history, Western Christian civilization, that God says cannot be destroyed is the church. Upon this rock I will build my church. The words of Jesus. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's in Matthew 16, 18. So if, if the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church, then whatever you may think about the church, there's something that God has promised within the church of the living God that we will all need. Hold on to that idea. And I could turn to Revelation 1.11. Uh, rather, Revelation 1 beginning in verse 9. Maybe I ought to do that just for the benefit of this congregation this morning. I love the book of Revelation. Now, if you're a preterist, you don't, you don't even read the book of Revelation. Well, God bless the preterist. I hope that he will bless them with a new vision. I hope they will get a new vision. Because they need to be delivered from preterism. Preterism is one of the most neutralizing heretical teachings known to Bible scholars. But let me break into Revelation 1 verse 9. 
The Bible says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a great voice of the, as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book. And send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. The book of Revelation, last book in the Bible, is written for the church. It's not written for an isolated family living in Timbuktu. The book of Revelation is a book for the church living in history at the consummation of the ages. Now I realize there's a wealth of information in the book of Revelation that is past. It has historically unfolded. And there are other events in the book of Revelation that were happening as the book was delivered to John but God bless those who have reserved something in that book of Revelation for the very end of time. Now all I'd have to do is quote Revelation eleven fifteen to confirm for anyone here that the book of Revelation is not a completed, finalized book. Revelation eleven fifteen. And there were great voices in heaven. The seventh angel sounded great voices in heaven saying, The kingdom, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever and ever and ever. I don't think we've, I don't think we're in the kingdom yet. Now I think people that believe we're living in the kingdom right now have have just come out from a, a dose of uh, no I won't say it I won't I won't say it uh, I refrain from saying that thank you Jesus I know I was checked in my spirit okay let's go now to something folks that I think is really critical now relax don't worry about how far we're getting into this outline we will go into the outline as long as the time lets us. But we will not, we will not move beyond what the Spirit wants us to do. So I'm letting the Holy Spirit say when the end of this lesson will come. When, it, when that's going to be will be, to be determined by the clock. But I want to, I want to emphasize the urgency of an enduring, overcoming, victorious faith. Beloved, I know there are folks sitting here who have endured great tribulation, great trials, great testing. And when I consider some of the testing, some of the trials that some of you people have been through, I, I'm amazed. I'm amazed at your resilience. I'm amazed. I'm, I praise the name of Jesus Christ that he has brought through you through fires and troubles and tribulations of life. Jesus said it this way in John 16, 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. That's a promise. In the world 
ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. So put a smile on over the, the tribulation. Put a smile knowing that Jesus Christ will never let you down. So the urgency of an enduring overcometh, overcoming victorious faith. What can I say, church? We all need a victorious, enduring, overcoming Christian storehouse of faith. What is faith? Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear by faith. Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice then Cain, by the which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. Without faith it is impossible to please God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Moved with fear. Prepared an ark to the saving of his house. By the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed and he went out not knowing whether he went. None of us know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And we got to take a hold of that hand by faith. If we could, now faith, whatever you can see is not faith. Faith is walking in darkness without assurance of where you are. Faith is trusting God to lead you and to guide you. So we need an enduring faith. I could have selected many beautiful verses, but I, like most preachers, go to my favorite verses. So I'm going to ask this congregation to turn to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter number 5. And here we go, chapter number 5, 1 John, verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also, that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God. Hello, all you that love, L-U-V, God, This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Would to God that every preacher in America would remind their congregation that if they want to define true love in scripture, it is keeping the commandments of God. That's how we demonstrate love to God. 
and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. If you believe in the deity, the divinity of Christ, that God was in Christ, incarnate, you will be an overcomer. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the spirit that beareth witness because the spirit is truth. Now let me, let me quote two more verses. If these are not marked in your Bible, they ought to be. Here they are. There are three that bear witness, that bear record in heaven. Okay, what are the three witnesses that bear record in heaven? The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are what? One. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. And what did Jesus promise before he ascended into the heavens? Nevertheless, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not, if I, and if I go away, I, I've got to do something for you. What did he promise that he would do? That he would give us, I heard it, the Holy Comforter. Holy Spirit. So that's why the word spirit is capitalized in verse number eight. See that word spirit is capitalized talking about the Holy Spirit. So, beloved, all I can say is your faith is never, never at a point where it will not be tested. We will all be tested. We will all be tested in different ways. Our test will not be the same. But everyone that passes a test grows more mature in their Christian walk. They grow stronger in Christ. So let's read on. Learning to adjust to a rapidly changing world over which we have no control. Now, beloved, there's a whole world of things that, that are present in our world that we have no control over. And it has been said that worry is assuming things that only belong to God. You may not be able to control a lot of things. So you're going to be much better off if you focus on the things that you can change. And there's no one in here today that doesn't have a world of things to focus on 
without worrying about things you cannot control. I cannot control the 2,000 elitists who just gathered at Davos, Switzerland, about 100 miles from Zurich. 2,000 of the elitists of America and the world that gathered there just days ago to figure out how to make our lives as miserable as they know how. While they live in their penthouses flying jets and driving high-dollar SUVs, gas-guzzling everything, they want you to plug into an electric car. And moreover, if you choose not to, they want you to walk, ride a bicycle if you live in the country, or they might choose for you if you live in the city, to catch the corner public transport. But they want to create a world where cars are accessible only to those who have the money and the finance to keep an electric car and a lithium battery, a lithium battery going. Now, those are things that you and I have minimal control over. But I want to tell you folks, what we can control is the progression of our faith in God to know that what God has promised, He will do, and God will see His remnant through if you have faith to believe it. I don't care what the elitist at Devos plan. I don't care what the World Economic Forum has in their mind. God has something far superior in his mind. Now, you know how rapidly catastrophic events from God can change events. You might want to talk to Lot someday and ask him how quickly Sodom and Gomorrah went down to beneath a, a, an atomic bomb of fire and brimstone. We might want to consult with Noah one day about the flood and the ark. Or we might even want to visit the inhabitants, if any survived, from ancient Nineveh, an ancient city that went up in smoke and flames and burned like a cinder in a matter of hours. The Bible is filled with catastrophic events of God's judgment that came in a heartbeat upon the wicked. And our goal is not to worry about the wicked. Our goal is to concern ourselves with doing what God told his remnant family to be doing. So that's where we can focus. We can focus on what God said for Israel to do. And in doing that, God has promised that he'll take care of his remnant. Remember those verses we read from Isaiah. Now, folks, listen. We are living through a rapidly changing world. And that world has rapidly changed since March 2020. 
The world that you live in in, the, in in February 2023 is a radically different world than you went to sleep in on the last day of January 2020. In a few days from that date, the world was introduced to the orchestrated, well-funded pandemic. Now, I want to add a caveat. Do you know that a sovereign God sitting in heaven never loses control of the world that he created? I don't like to think so. In fact, it hurts me to admit it. But I believe that God Almighty himself may have used the evil minds of the brainless idiots who turned COVID-19 on the world. I don't think anything's going to happen significantly on this earth outside of the gaze and watchful eye of a sovereign God. Now, I want to read this little paragraph under letter A. The unprecedented rise in the standard of living in post-World War II America and how the rather artificial world is now changing, the impact of deglobalization and changing demographics. Now, folks, listen. For the young children in this congregation... They live in a world that they have never experienced a lot of things. The older you are, the more contrast you can see in the world that was before World War II and the world that now is. Sister Marie is close to 90 years old. And she can tell you things about World War II, pre-World War II days that are a little bit shocking compared to how we live today. None of us realize that we have lived, people that now have lived, and particularly since World War II, if you were born in the baby boomer generation, that's 1946 to and through 1964, that's the baby boomer generation, and they're growing toward retirement now. That generation, those born in the early years of that generation, remember a world totally different than the world we live in today. The world from Adam to the end of the First World War, that world, now think of Adam and Eve all the way through the timeline of history until, say, the early 1900s, there have been more changes come in the last hundred years than in all the history from Adam and Eve to the year 1900. How many models has the cell phone gone through in your life? How many updates in the, in the cell phone? Technology has literally radically upset the, 
it's changed the whole world. Transportation and communication has revolutionized the world that we live in, church. Now, I'm persuaded, I'm persuaded to mention something to you. It would be very difficult for me to sign on to this. But if we, if this congregation were to be able to turn back to 1941 when the folks from Colorado arrived in rural Missouri and they lived here without electricity, with an outdoor privy, no modern, no water in any home, no supermarkets, no Walmart, no woods, just little country stores, grocery stores. If you could get to them. M Highway was a little dirt trail to Nevada, impassable during the winter. When we arrived here, we had to immediately start growing food. Butchering livestock. That's how you survived. I dare say. The world that we may be moving into for a season of time. May be very, very close to that. And if I had a wish today. I could wish that we had never moved along with the technology don't know how I would have survived because I love air conditioning. And if you've ever laid in a bed or slept out in the yard on a hot July night in humid mosquito chigger infested Missouri, you haven't experienced real life. I don't want to go back to that world, folks. Don't want to go back there. But we have been living in an artificial world for 75 years in America. We have lived in the highest standard of living of any people on this planet. There's a hundred or more reasons that we can give, that we can complain about in the years that have expired since... The end of World War II, roughly 75 years, maybe on the plus side, a couple more. 75 years of the fattest, most luxurious time in history. I don't know if you, if you will agree with me, but I want to testify to this congregation that everyone in this building has lived better, higher, with a better standard of living than any king or any queen in human history up until at least the 1700s. We simply do not know how blessed we have been. God has favored us beyond all that you can imagine. And there's reasons for that, beloved. There's reasons for that.
1941, people, horses were still being farmed with in Vernon County. They were being competed with the little F-12 steel-wheeled international farm all. And if you were super wealthy and could squeeze together another three or four hundred dollars, you could drive an F-20 steel wheel and instead of pulling two 12-inch plow shears, you could pull two 14s. And you could sit on the seat of an F-12 and plow all day and hardly wonder how many more days it would take to finish the field. That was the world of 1941. Look at the transformation of agriculture. It's an incredible thing. Do you know in 1900 there were 2 billion people on planet earth? Today there are 8 billion people. Do you understand the food that it takes to sustain 8 billion people? And why has it occurred? Because modern Anglo-Saxon ingenuity in agricultural technology now produces and feeds the world. American farmers, together with their European counterparts, their British, Dutch, German farmers, better throw in the French and the Italians and all the rest of them, better include the Australians and the Canadians, the West has been feeding the world and sustaining this worldwide population. But you know that it's changing. It is changing rapidly. Can I tell you why? Let me give you some stats from the Epic Times printed very recently. These are legitimate Figures printed in the fastest growing conservative newspaper in America called the Epoch Times, E-P-O-C-H. In 2022, the corn harvest in the United States was the smallest in the last 10 years. In 2022, the tomato harvest was one million tons less than a normal year. Everything I'm giving you now is for 2022. California rice, the rice harvest in California was down 50% in 2022. Half of the rice normally grown. U.S. hard red winter wheat. Watch this one. Smallest crop in 2022 since 1963. And I talked to a Montana hard red wheat grower yesterday who told me that they have had poor harvest in many parts of the wheat growing sector of Montana now for, for a long time. Across the United States, the carrot crop was down 45% in the United States. And if you're not a carrot person, you missed it. 
everybody should like carrots. Sweet corn across the United States down 20% from its normal average. Sweet potato crop down 13%. Celery down 11% across the U.S. Peaches down 15%. Now, this list just goes on and on, but that gives you some idea, people, of the fact that the food that we're now growing is beginning to dissipate, diminish. And I'd like to tell you, in the very short time I have left, I want to emphasize that there may be reasons, more than one reason, why the food supply is diminishing. You're all familiar with what God tells us. We read about it earlier in the law from Leviticus 26. We could read the same thing in Deuteronomy 28. And all throughout the Bible we know that God uses drought to shrink the food supply. Somebody ought to be able to say amen. Because you live in a world today where growing numbers of Americans believe that the Russians and the Chinese determine the weather. Now you've got a problem with God and the Bible if you, really, if you really believe that. Because God promised in the verses read in this house this morning that one of the promises God makes is that if we do not follow and listen and obey his voice that he will stop the rain. Now who stops the rain? The Russians, the Chinese, or God Almighty? See, you got to, you got to, folks, don't, don't let yourself be drugged into a, a philosophical worldview where God is rendered helpless and God's enemies are in charge of everything. Let me tell you, the Russians, the Chinese... And any other name you want to add to that will do nothing to harm God's people except God steps aside and lets it happen. Nothing's going to happen adverse to God's children that God does not purposely believe is a just thing coming. I want to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And I, I, I want to thank this congregation for your kindness in 2 Chronicles 7, the Bible says this. The Lord appeared to Solomon by night at the dedication of the temple and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, that says if God shuts up heaven, there'll be no rain. If I command the locust to devour the land, if I send the pestilence, I is the supreme, sovereign, holy God. He's in charge of the universe. How much more so this little speck called earth. 
If I send locusts to devour the land, if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, the first step is humility. Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. What is God supposed to do with a nation that does not even know how to define a woman? What is God supposed to do with a country that no longer knows the dis uh, gender distinction between a man and a woman? What is God supposed to do with a nation that is now putting urinals in ladies' bathrooms all across the college campuses of this country? What is America coming to? Day of judgment. We are a nation today that believe by adding puberty blockers to little children that we can turn a little girl into a boy and we can... By chemical castration, we can turn a little boy into a girl. This is insanity. It's a nation ripe for judgment. It's called the judgment of God. And it will fall on this country in God's time. And those who turn to their God in faithfulness and in obedience, in humility in meekness, in repentance, will be well cared for. He will take you through the fire, take you through the water, take you through the pe pestilence. How many in this congregation resisted the experimental gene therapy changing injection? And now... There are vast numbers of those who were injected who are saying, why didn't you tell us? Before we submitted ourselves to the injection, you wouldn't listen. You wouldn't listen. There were many voices pleading with people not to take the injection. People lined up for the judgment. And Americans are living a life today that's putting them and making them ripe for judgment. People, you cannot tell me that anybody is so stupid that they can't define a woman. I just don't buy into that. Now, we are... We are between A and C under number two. That's where I'm at in this little outline. I am between A and C. Number two, learning to adjust to a rapidly changing world over which we have no control. Now, I want to thank this congregation this morning. First of all, I want to thank you for your patience. And I am truly thankful for your indulgence, your kindness, 
and I love the patience of our little children.